0: Welcome to the Story Geek Show. On today's show, did the Academy get it right? Did they give Oscars to the right people? The best stories of 2021. We'll be talking about that. We'll also be reacting and digging deeper into episode one of the latest Marvel Cinematic Universe property to hit Disney Plus. Moon Knight, which is, I think, really good, but that's a spoiler alert for the future of the show when we talk to Josh Taylor about it. And that stars Oscar Isaac, so basically this entire show is sponsored by the name Oscar. And remember, everything we talk about on today's show will contain spoilers, so if you didn't see the Oscars and you want to go back and watch it, or if you haven't seen Moon Knight Episode 1, then we are going to be talking spoilers about that, so just know that up front. I'm Jay Shear, co-writer of Death of a Bounty Hunter and Time Slingers, next to me here on the desk. For those listening, you can't see it, but if you could, they're really cool covers designed by uh, Nathan Check my co-author and joining me today very exciting one of my oldest podcasting friends the the co-host of one of my favorite series that i've ever worked on gold blooming mr josh taylor is here to talk to me so you can find josh on modern mouse both the youtube channel and the podcast feed he's also a regular contributor on the theme park pulse channel josh taylor how are you sir
1: That is a lot of stuff that I do. Dude, Um,
0: you you do bro. We need to talk we might need to talk about how much stuff you do.
1: It's a problem. It's (laughs) like like it's I need an intervention as (laughs) well.
0: You dude, you need an intervention for sure. How are you this morning? I know you're getting over a cold.
1: I am getting over a cold, but I feel good. Actually, you know, okay, so for those people who don't know me, one of my favorite things in the whole world is coffee. I absolutely love coffee. Um, in fact, for the first time that Jay and I ever hung out, we went to a coffee shop. We did I just love coffee that much, we did. Uh, but I didn't have coffee for an entire week. That's how sick I was. Like I didn't Whoa. enjoy one of my most favorite things in the world because I could not taste. Ah, uh, that's uh, and, brutal. Like, you know, like when you get to that that, per- that certain point when you're sick too, and like you have that high fever and you just want something cold. Yeah. <laughs>
0: right. It's <So, laughs> yeah. like
1: hot coffee's just not doing it for me. And, uh, and I didn't want to go out. Right. And so I just didn't make any coffee for like a week. Oh, uh,
0: did you have coffee this morning?
1: I'm having coffee right now. But
0: oh, yeah. so am I. I'm actually having, co- what do you, what do you, this is, let's just do a little uh, coffee and carousels promotion mm. right here, which is mm. Josh's, Josh and Chris's Sunday morning show at yeah. 8 a.m. Uh, Western, right?
1: 8 a.m. Western. Yeah. Where we Pacific. discuss coffee and theme park news.
0: Yeah. So what's your what is in your cup? What is in your what is your cup of coffee this morning?
1: Uh, currently, I'm working through uh, brought Coffee, which is like a local oh, Orange yeah. County shop. Um, they roast their own coffee. This is like a Kenyan um, uh, farm. And nice. it's really good. It's got like some kind of raisiny plum kind of notes to it. So, yeah, really enjoy excellent. It.
0: I have a I have a iced iced decaf. I have to I've been drinking decaf ever since I had my heart issues pop up, and uh, that's hopefully like on its way out. But I'm just still drinking decaf, and I love Phil's coffee. I know you don't like Phil's coffee because it's not it's not fancy enough and small batch enough for you. <laughs> but I There's love more than I love like it. <laughs> three locations, and that upsets me. <laughs> that's right, exactly, exactly. All right, Josh, let's jump into this today. We're going to talk about uh, the Oscars, and we're not going to slap each other. We're not making jokes about each other's significant others. I mean, we can, but we're not going to slap each other if we do, um, because that's that's been burnt to a crisp, that whole, that whole situation. So we're not going to talk about that, but we are going to talk about stories, because stories are really important to people who are story geeks. So the first question I have for you, Josh, and we'll discuss this together, is... Did your favorite movie of 2021 win an Oscar? And in your mind, what are some of the movies that maybe didn't win Oscars that should have won Oscars? Uh,
1: Did my favorite movie win an Oscar or, like, the
0: Oscar? So, the good question. So, an Oscar or the Oscar? Because we, we do a thing in the Oscars called Best Picture of the Year, which is almost impossible to do. But, like you can win on all these other categories too. And some of those categories are perceived as more important than other categories. Let's face it. Like at least by That's audience. True. Yeah. So w- what do you think? I mean, like did your favorite movie win any Oscars and should it one, should it have won more Oscars?
1: Uh, well, my favorite movie of the year, um, I can't even tell you like how many movies I saw last year. <laughs> and so many of them didn't even end up getting nominated for anything. Right. Um, but from what, was a part of the Oscars from what I saw, like going back and, and watching some things. Um, my favorite movies did not win uh, anything actually. And my, my top two contenders, I thought that would do really well did not. Ah. So I really thought the power of the dog was going to be huge. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, and I understand that it's not a film for everybody. It's definitely a kind of actors acting mm. film. Yeah. Um, but it didn't really win anything and no. it was nominated for a ton of stuff and the same, uh, my favorite film. I know we've talked about this off the show as well. Yeah. Um, I think both of us, our favorite runner in the best picture category was nightmare alley. Yep. I knew it had no clear chance of winning, but yeah. I think it was the, <laughs> the fun, the, the funnest story I watched.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And the most, so yeah, that was my, that was my favorite story of 2021 for sure um which it's sort of a it's sort of a noir horror morality tale like it feels like you're watching like Aesop's fables for like the 1920s and 30s like it's like it's it's a wild movie and uh but it's extremely well done it's poignant and the fact that Guillermo del Toro is the one that did it means that it's also grotesquely beautiful is the best way to say it like he just has this ability to 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 present that on screen and i and i feel like it i feel like it deserved more attention for sure than it got because i don't think a lot of people were have been talking about it you know sometimes i'll um so some of the former uh, co-hosts of the story geek show or the story geeks podcast i'll I'll just text them and see how they're doing and stuff and i don't think a lot of them had even seen it until i was like it's the best movie that there is from last year so just know that like i highly recommend it Um, obviously you highly recommend it as well. And, and I would say that our sensibilities are, are similar, but there's even some divergence between the kind of movies that I'm going to prefer versus the kind of movies that you're going to prefer to a degree. Um, you're a little bit more into animation and a little bit more into, um, documentaries and I'm a little bit and horror. Yeah. You're into all of those three things a little bit more so than I am. Um, I'm probably a little bit more into the detective noir. Sort of like crime type of a deal. Oh, I like um, this as well. Yeah, well, you like a lot of things, so that's hard. Do, to, yeah, it's hard yeah, yeah, to displease. Yeah. It's hard to displease Josh Taylor. So, to tell me about some of the other movies that you felt like. So, did you think Power of the Dog deserved more than what it got?
1: I actually felt uh, like Jesse Plemons was mm. one of my favorite performances of the year from Power of the Dog. I thought he did really well, um, and and I, I. Understand like why he didn't win, you know, supporting role. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, over overall, like, so going through like some, some of the list here, a lot of the like quote unquote lesser awards, right? Most of the technical awards, yeah. Um, went to Dune, right? And right. I think that Dune is a is a good looking film, right? And I know that a lot of people love. Dune is like this sci-fi nostalgia, whether it's right. because of the book or the film, uh, like the previous film from years ago, not the new film. I like ju- like watching Dune in theaters. Mm-hmm. I was bored, <laughs> and, and maybe it's because it's part one of two. But the pacing was just super slow. Um, again, technically beautiful. Um, some of the acting was really good. Yeah, but like it was definitely not one of my favorite films of the year, and it took home like the most awards yeah. from the Oscars.
0: It sure did. Yeah. It, I, I have, I have a little list here of the films that I enjoyed the most. So I'm just going to run through a couple of those right now, because what you're going to see is yeah. the it's going to lead into the next question I have, which is like, why were these films for the most part, not on this list? Right. So like, I really enjoyed nightmare alley, which was nominated in multiple categories and didn't win in, in any of them. I don't believe. Um nope. Spider-Man No Way Home, which got a nomination for Best Visual Effects, but did not win in Best Visual Effects. It had like um, the
1: weird fan vote uh <laughs> thing that was it like did. it was awful. Like the whole oh, it, thing was the it worst.
0: Was, it was so stupid. Um, I had Encanto Encanto on my list, and Encanto was nominated and won for best animated, but I think it could have been easily best picture too. Like Encanto was was really, really good. I think um there's only one part of Encanto that I wish they had done that they didn't do, and I won't I'm not gonna spoil it for everybody. Um, but, uh, I think it was solidly in like one of the best pictures that I had seen in the year. And then I also like really enjoyed, I, I actually enjoyed Dune, but I, I think it's weird when we make movies that are not complete because it's so hard to say like, this is a complete movie when in fact, it's just like part one, the first half of a much larger narrative. It's like, it's really hard to say like, that's worthy of getting awards. And this is where this is where I think we'll get into this conversation later. But like we're talking about actors, producers, directors, uh, visual arts people who are all voting for like stories, and all those people care about stories. And I've worked with a lot of those kinds of people myself, so I'm not saying they don't care about stories. But they all have not only do they have not only are they carrying their is this a good story to the table, they're also carrying their well do I like what they did and do I do I like that performance and do I like this there's a lot of different things that are happening there um just to round out my um my other movies that I really enjoyed before we move on I really enjoyed Zack Snyder's Justice League which I know is a controversial thing to say I really enjoyed it um I really enjoyed Luca a lot Luca I don't think got enough um attention from people because it just was like too it was still solidly in the pandemic and I think it felt like movies were cheapened to be released on streaming um that's just a shame because I think that's a great movie. And then I also really enjoyed, um, last night in Soho, even though I thought the ending had some, had some things that I would probably change, but, um, those are some of my favorites from the year. So any other favorites from you before we move on?
1: Ooh, I, I have a hard time, like even realizing, cause the pandemic has messed up my like spectrum of what is <laughs> yes. time even, um, that it's yeah. like, when did these movies even come out?
0: Exactly. Um,
1: Geez, I can't even think of, like, films at all for some reason. I mean, going back to animation, like, The Mitchells versus The Machines I thought was also a really excellent film, um, very well animated. Mm. Uh, I would agree with you that, like, there were a couple of films here that, like, I mean, people loved. Like, I know, again... I'm not a fan of Zack Snyder's Justice League, but, like, I mean, obviously, the Internet blew up for it. Um, <laughs> right, right, right. You know, in good and bad ways. So I mean, 100%. People, were, people were into that. Um, yeah. Uh, what are, what what's, what's the
0: documentary that you would have said should have, like, the documentary that Josh Taylor recommends for people who like stories?
1: Um, So I really liked it. And it did get a theatrical release, which was surprising, which was uh, Roadrunner, the Anthony Bourdain documentary I felt was a really excellent um went to go see that in theaters and it was a lot of fun Hmm. um I did I actually and you know what I did not see this at all um but I heard good things from a lot of people which was Ghostbusters Afterlife
0: oh yeah I heard good things too but every time every time we go past that in our queue my wife goes I don't want to watch that because she thinks of the last one (laughs) and things like I don't I don't think I'm gonna like it I'm always like well I hear good things about it so I don't know
1: uh, and then, uh, you know what, in in the actual Oscars, like, I know people didn't really care for, like, Don't Look Up. It's a fine film. I don't understand why it got, like, an Oscar nomination. Right. Um, It was fun. It was fine. <laughs> yeah. You know, but, like, there were other, I think there were other more deserving films to be kind of Oscar-bait worthy, The Tragedy of Macbeth. Right. Um, you know, didn't get a nomination and like it's Shakespeare. Like, why why wouldn't it? Denzel Washington? Like, yeah, of course. Have you um, seen
0: that? Have you seen that?
1: I have not yet. No, I haven't either. Um, I really but, want to. Yeah, I've I've heard good things about
0: it. So, um Well, well let me ask you that. this then. Let me ask you this. Uh I wanna know there's there's tension every year, and it's especially true when you're talking about what we, what I usually term geek films, right? These films that are like sci-fi, um, superhero, uh, like genre films, genre films. Yep. Genre films. There's always this tension of like, why isn't the Academy nominating these for some of the best pictures? So this is what I want to talk about. I want to talk about, first of all, what is the Academy actually looking for versus what people are looking for? And is there a difference? Yeah, there seems to be, but what is it? And then I want to talk about like why that is, or, or how we could solve that. Or should we even care about that? So let's just start first of all with saying, what do you think the Academy is actually looking for when the Academy nominates stories and films? Uh,
1: I think that they usually look for, and I, I agree with this. Mm. I think that they look for important stories. Mm. Um, So whether that's talking about social issues or it's reflecting back on a time through a different lens, um, or it's looking at cinema in a fantastical way. Like if you were looking at, um, you know, like a couple of years ago, we were talking about Guillermo del Toro, like Shape of Water 1. Yeah. Um, It is a nod an homage to a creature from the black lagoon, but right. told in a totally different way. And the cinematography and the acting is so great that, that that is wonderful, you know, or like licorice pizza is this look at, at the Valley at Los Angeles through a historical lens, through a, a, a different way. Mm. Um, you can look at power of the dog. Power of the dog is a story that is, it is basically like hateful. Brokeback Mountain is the best I can like the best term I can use for it. Um, in, in a way, uh, uh, I think an important story to tell, yeah. if that makes sense. Um, sure. Even and again, don't look up talking about like why it got nominated. I think it got nominated because it's telling us what's happening in the world and joking about it in a way mm. that makes it palpable um you know like ghostbusters afterlife isn't an important story yeah technically you know it it's fun it's fantastical it's silly but it's not really that important and then in the other categories like acting they're truly looking at what the best performances are typically right. they're within those same best picture films but sometimes they're not mm-hmm. um I've seen a lot of films and, and you've I've talked to you about this before where you go like this film wasn't that great but the acting
0: yeah <laughs> the acting was
1: it was really good
0: right um, exactly
1: so you know I, I don't mind i think a lot of people have this huge gripe of like why isn't spider-man or why aren't other you know genre films right involved um and, and sometimes they are lord of the rings being a huge one
0: you yeah know? yeah
1: but overall like i don't mind what the oscars bring to the table
0: yes
1: i, I think there's an important reason why that is too, um, both for the arts and economics.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And I think, I, I think you're nailing a lot of the same things that I was going to bring up too. Cause so the, so the first thing I have to say is um, as a person who has actually run a competition before. So for context, I worked at a university where I ran a competition for people who, for student and alumni teams who are starting companies and starting businesses, they're entrepreneurs. And What we did was we had them pitch to people who were angel investors, venture capitalists, other entrepreneurs and startup founders. And the whole time what we were trying to get is we were trying to understand like which one of these teams deserves, we were giving away a lot of money. We're giving $15,000 in cash away to these teams to help them start their business. And, um, and so one of the things I learned about running a, a competition is that there's a lot of politics involved. The politics that are and when I say politics, I don't I don't mean I don't mean um the politics of like of like our government system, but the politics of like do are the are the students and alumni are they playing a political game with the in other words, it's it's not just a challenge to say who's the best, it's also a challenge to say, well, who do I like the most or who do I want to give fifteen thousand dollars to because I like the way they interact with me and I think that they're looking for advice and yeah, maybe this this idea is not as good, but like the 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 founders of this team are better at interacting with people, and I think they have a better shot at like making it. Or there's so many different things that go into it that when you're giving away these these prizes, like an Oscar, the level of if you're nominated, that should be the prize. And I've watched all these teams be devastated in our competition, yeah. right? Who didn't win, but the reality is like. What separates the winners from the losers at the top category is so minor. I mean, like, if you heard the conversations that go on behind the scenes about why they gave the, why they gave an award to one team over another, it's this, and this is the same thing with the Oscars because the Oscars is political times, times a million of the competition that we were running. Right. Like, like these are, because there's so much money involved. And if something wins an Oscar, it is going to get more views. It is going to get, it's going to get picked up people like places like Netflix and streaming services will want to purchase it because they can advertise it to people. It's like, this is an Oscar winner. And so there's, there's so much monetization that you can't expect purity. <laughs> there's, there's too much. There's too, I don't want to say it's corrupt because it's not necessarily corrupt, but there's a lot of jockeying going on, which makes it very political, um, which is difficult.
1: The, I think on the other side of that, from a, um, I mean, obviously, there's the politics side of it. And, right, there's, like, a bunch of people paying to be considered for an Oscar. Right, right. Um, and, and people want to get nominated, even if you're not a winner. Nominees, yeah. you know, those, like, top ten nominees all get more views. Yeah. Um, on the other side of it, though, like, when we talk about uh, over the last couple of years, people have really talked about how nobody shows up to the theaters anymore unless it's for a big tentpole film like Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, right? Right. Uh, or, um, yeah, anyways. Uh, <laughs> any uh, no Way Home, film, No Way yes. Home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, No Way any, Home. No,
0: any of them, yeah. <laughs> any but, Spider-Man film.
1: Yeah, yeah but any Spider-Man movie. I mean, any superhero movie at this point. Uh, you know, nobody's showing up to the theater to see King Richard. Right, right. right. The thing that the Oscars is now doing in, in the 21st century is that it's keeping independent film alive. True. Um, it is, from that kind of standpoint of like, th- the theater, the industry of filmmaking. Yeah. Um, it is keeping the non-genre filmmaking alive. Like, it used to yeah. be like, genre film was looked down upon. Now, genre film is and it is the only thing people are seeing. Right, And <laughs> exactly. so, it's cool to see some of these th- films that are more indie more artsy more um trying to tell an interesting side of a story keeping it alive Uh, yeah so i think that's what the oscars is now really doing it's no longer a celebration of the best films of the year yep it's more a celebration of uh films that you probably didn't see.
0: Right. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. And, and and I think that too, like, I mean, stories do several things, right? Stories entertain us. They enlighten and reveal to us something that we did not know before. Um, they, I think the ultimate, and you and I have talked about this again, not on a podcast before, but, but just interpersonally, there's a shared human experience that we all have and films and stories give us the ability to share those human experiences throughout a creative medium. And so I think the, I think what the, what you nailed it, um, and I'm going to add a few more things to what you said when you said what the Academy prefers. So they're almost always going to view character driven stories over plot driven stories, almost always. Um, They're also going to almost always align with current political thought. Usually current political thought that is more liberal in nature. And I don't mean that as like a, I don't mean that necessarily as like a political party definition, but liberal thought meaning like we're pushing the boundaries of what people might consider to be the norm today. And we're seeing if there's ways of exploring that in in different or, or new ways. So for example, you see something like Coda win. Coda is saying, have you thought about, the hearing impaired community lately, right? And have you thought about, and, and by the way, it's not just about the, I haven't seen the film all the way through, but from what I know of it, it's also not about that, but have you seen what it's like to be in lower class Caucasian communities that tend to be sometimes forgotten in our conversations about what's going on, right? Um, and, and that's revealing of, of like, oh, okay, this is, this is a way that, that this story is showcasing an experience that most of us don't have. And I think that's what the academy loves that kind of thing. They want to shine a light on particular issues um in that kind of way and the general audience a lot of times is more so just looking to be entertained. Like don't I don't care about this right now because I have a hard I so well, a lot of what people think is and I don't mean to dumb down the general audience at all because I'm part of the general audience. <laughs> Let's face it. Um but I think a lot of times what we're not looking to we're not looking for those kinds of stories we're looking for the chance to be encouraged the chance to see heroics the chance to be engaged in a way that reminds us of what our our value system is or should be and so when we're given these other kinds of stories not that we don't like those i love tragedies for example but a lot of times that's not what the most amount of people are going to see that's going to be a smaller amount of people who care about different kinds of things, and then you just had this disconnect with what the academy is looking for versus what the general audience is looking for. But here's where I want to take this conversation because I want to I want to know from you mm-hmm. if it matters does the does the otters does is the oscars should they even should they even upset us when when Spider Man No Way Home is not nominated should that upset us? Uh, no. And I've talked to a lot of people
1: over the years about all kinds of films that, you know, they were like, oh yeah, I love Harry Potter and it sucks that Harry Potter never got an Oscar nomination, you know, at least like a major one. Um, right. or Lord of the, you know, Lord of the Rings did well. So why can't all these Marvel movies or whatever? And I think the reality that, that you have to look at is, um, in the same vein. Okay. So like, there's, there's several types of arts out there, right? Uh, like, actual, like, visual art. Let's say you're going to a museum, right? There's all kinds of different right. museum arts. You'll never find a Garfield comic strip at an art museum. Unless it's, like, a, unless it's like a cartoon <laughs> Pop culture. art culture. Yeah, 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 right? exactly. Like, the thing about, in that same kind of vein, you read Garfield or Peanuts or whatever in the comics like mm-hmm. when you used to get a sunday paper because it was escapism it was funny it was yeah. silly but there was no interpreting it right um there was no way to kind of see the multifaceted layers of it garfield just wants lasagna <laughs> but right. like if you go see a monet painting or right. rembrandt or whatever when you look at it you have this visceral connection to Mm. it and your interpretation might be different than somebody else's interpretation right what it means and it's layered and it's um it's stunning visually but then it's also like blurry It's you know like there's so many different things you can talk about with it right and i think that that is what the academy awards is for a lot of people like when you go see harry potter any harry potter film yeah um like are they telling a complex interesting story not really like they're basically telling the bible um to a certain aspect but like they're they're telling a fantastical story as escapism versus if you go see coda which won best picture you're going to you're going to walk away thinking about your own life other people's lives what it's like to have a family member with uh, a hearing disability or any kind of disability, the family dynamics that revolve around that, um, the complexities, you know, just of life uh, from that. And, and then you talk about the acting, the cinematography, all of that. So it's a much more complex film-going experience. And I think yeah. that that's what the Oscars always strive for. Sometimes they're very wrong. Uh, you know, but like, I think that that's what they typically go for. And I don't mind that. I think that that's great. We already all know about, um, you know, Harry Potter and Marvel and Star Wars. Like we don't, we celebrate those by giving them our money.
0: Right. Well, and yeah, I, I I totally agree. And I think that the part of the problem is that it's hard for the human brain When it's responding to a story, why do we even engage in stories? The human brain engages in stories because it wants to learn how it can make decisions about the world based on the stimuli in the story. I mean, this has been researched neurologically. That's the way that we communicate with each other via stories is so that we can understand and interpret the world better. It's very hard to ask someone, can you tell your brain to turn off all of the things that it normally thinks about? And enter a theater where you're going to be watching something that somebody else normally thinks about that never comes up in your life at all and may never even come up in your life in the future. So it's hard to tell the brain that that story is worth it paying attention to because it's kind of like, well, what am I going to do? I mean, like, am I going to do anything with this? So this is where you see the general, where you talked about like Harry Potter and comparing that to the Bible. What are those two stories? Whether it's the Harry Harry uh, Harry Potter catalog or the the biblical category, the the biblical catalog, what are those stories intending to do? They're supposed to help a majority of people understand and interpret the world. Coda is not trying to do that. <laughs> Coda is trying to say this is a this is a micro story about a micro community. That's dealing with this specific type of issue, right? Now, I do think that right. some th- there are some storytelling entities like Pixar who do a much better job of taking like a smaller problem and showcasing it and wrapping it in a much larger context. Like in Kanto, you don't have to be from Colombia to understand not only what what the elements of what's going on in Colombia are and how the family system operates um, in Colombia, but you can also interpret that through your own lens and, and go along with it. So there, so there are some storytellers who are able to kind of get into both play in both situations, but yeah. it's a lot more rare. And the Academy tends to, and then the other thing, the Academy tends to award because the Academy is its own microcosm. Let's face it. The Academy is made up of people with, that are all about acting, producing, Right, like they're they're in. So this is why you see that's a tribe, if you will, people who are involved in Hollywood are its own tribe. And what is that tribe saying? That tribe is saying we love stories about Hollywood because <laughs> they're because they're biased, right? They they have biases that they don't realize that we don't yeah, we don't yeah. live in Hollywood. You know what I mean? I will say
1: this though. So so let me go back a few years. This is, I mean maybe this is like twenty fourteen, maybe yeah. even earlier. I'm not sure. But like, do you remember when the artist won, and people had like a oh, huge yeah. uproar about like the artist? Yeah. So a lot of people saw The Artist at home because of the, I think at that point it was like on DVD or streaming or whatever. But I actually saw The Artist opening weekend at a theater. Oh, nice. And it was this super cool movie-going experience. Like the thing about what The Artist was was that it created an experience that I had never had before as a movie goer that clearly people in the 1920s and 30s were actually having. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. Like, it, and the same kind of aspect to, I guess, what you're saying. So, like, when you're talking about your worldview and whether it's escapism or maybe understanding your own worldview a bit more. Right. Um, movies like Coda come along or, um, gosh, I'm trying to think of, like, a couple of years. Like, even... Even Green Book, right? Like right. a lot of people hate the fact that Green Book won, right? Um, which I agree. I don't think it was the best film that year, but those kinds of movies get nominated because it's not about your worldview; it's about other people's worldview. Yeah, and and in that way, it actually starts to change your worldview. You start, you know, your worldview then becomes bigger. Right. And I think that that's a really cool dynamic thing. Like when you talk about Encanto, I connect. With the family dynamic, because yep. that's my worldview. Exactly. But the Colombian history, and and that is now giving me a larger scope. Exactly. Um, because it's not mine. And I think, like, when we see superhero films, they project as you being the superhero. Yes. It's still, your worldview, you Correct. know, or any kind of genre type of film, major genre filmmaking right. um, that makes escapism. It makes you the main character. Right. A lot of these Oscar films distance you from the film, exactly, because they want you to look at it and then learn something from it.
0: Yeah, very much so. And we don't we don't get a chance to talk a lot a lot about the comments, but this is a pretty good comment here. Um, and if 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 uh, if you're still listening and watching, let us know who you are because Streamyard hides the hides the Facebook names from us half the time. Um, I wonder, this comment came from a Facebook user saying, I wonder if that's why bros have a problem with turning red. They lack the empathy to see the metaphor. Now, you and I have talked about turning red off the show. Yeah. The, the, the film has multiple perspectives that it's trying to share that are, I would call them less common in right. U.S. cinemas, and so, 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 yes, to, to a certain extent, it is why n- a number of different people, not only bros, are having a problem with that film, it's because it's you and I had a long conversation about how it treated the mother versus how it treated the daughter, right? And you and I could connect with that in certain ways. But at the end of the day, some, some places we were like, I don't connect with this. I don't understand why they just say that one person's allowed to do something and the other person's not allowed to do something. So, so yes, that's a really good example, though, of like saying if the general audience has a hard time connecting to something. It's just going to it's going to fall a little bit flat. Now we really need to get into to Moon Knight because I don't want to run out of time for that. And Moon is yeah. one of the biggest things we're going to talk about. But one of the last things I did want to bring up was I do think other awards programs are doing far better than the Oscars. And the Oscars need to take a hard look at that. Because Grammys. I was I didn't watch the Grammys, but as I was watching like highlight clips from the Grammys, I realized like this is the people's and industry show combined. The industry is revealing people from the different genres that may not be as popular or they're they're awarding people who have a little bit less popularity, but they're also bringing BTS up to do a performance and they're yeah. giving Doja cat an award like that that's like that's like not a thing that seems like it would happen at all <laughs> in the Oscars, right? And it's I like mean, it it, used to it, it you know, used to like, yeah it
1: used to they used to have a couple of films every year and I guess this year they sort of did. Yeah. You know, they put in West Side Story as kind of like the, hey, your grandmother <laughs> loves this film, you know, like, right, well, you can watch this as a family, but it used to have at least a couple of popular films um, scattered throughout. Whether or not they won or not is is not part of it, but, you know, they were, they were part of the show, um, and when you go back and look at, you know, the, ni- the 90s, the 80s, whatever, like, there were films that a mass amount of people saw in theaters that ended up winning. True. So
0: this but there's been a, there's been a losing touch with that awards show to a degree. Right. Um. All right. Let's get into, let's get into moon Knight. I mean, both of us, I think would say the conclusion is don't worry about what the Oscars no- nominates <laughs> and has win. Right. Like, like enjoy it and understand that it's different. Those, and I think watch those films. Sure. You know? Sure. 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 Um, but also don't don't get too upset about it. It's not worth it, <laughs> right? Um, but I want to talk about Moon Knight because uh, I think there's a lot to talk about with Moon Knight episode one. This will contain spoilers, so again, warning on that. We're going to talk about spoilers for Moon Knight. Um, I want to just start with just getting your your really quick take on on whether or not you liked Moon Knight and to what degree. Like, tell me a little bit about that.
1: Moon Knight is the best episode. Moon Knight episode one uh the goldfish problem the name of the episode is the best opening episode of any mcu series from disney plus
0: how dare you sir just shots fired just shots fired from the first question
1: uh that means (laughs) i i think generally speaking most people are put off by episode one of wandavision i love the whole series as a whole i love episode one of wandavision but it doesn't appeal to a ton of people. And I get that. Um, Loki, I think is the other one that had like the best episode one. Yeah. But Moon Knight is fantastic in a lot of different ways. It brings a brand new character. So you had to kind of slow down the pace because we don't know this character as our protagonist. It gave us uh, the antagonist of the show, at least who we think is the main antagonist of the show at this point. Um, it, it gave us a glimpse into the life of somebody with a serious chronic illness, right. if you want to call it that, uh, disassociative identity disorder. Right. It had elements of suspense and mystery. Yep. Comedy. And I think it did comedy in a different way than what the MCU typically does. Yeah. Horror. Yep. And also uh, a bit of, of drama. Yeah, I think it did all that stuff in 35 minutes or whatever the actual runtime of the episode is. Right, I think it's absolutely fantastic. This is right up my alley, and to the same idea with Star Wars, I think that Star Wars. I'm so tired of of the Luke Skywalker and his world coming up, and I know that that is. I mean, anything I if. I just mentioned the word Star Wars and somebody's gonna have a panic attack. <laughs> you know, like somebody's like, oh, a guy with an opinion about Star Wars. But like I'm so sick of losing. You, you Ryan Johnson's shill.
0: You Ryan Johnson shill you. Yeah, right. But like
1: But the Mandalorian like the the first season of The Mandalorian was so fantastic because it was like yeah. this feels like Star Wars, but we're getting so far away from what has been Star Wars. It felt really refreshing. Right. And then when they brought back in Luke Skywalker, I was like, that's, that's it. Yeah. Like, like, you did it. You found a way to bring him back in. Yeah. Like, this yeah, this yeah. feels the same way. It feels like the, I know what the MCU looks like. Mm. I know how it works. Even when it's way outlandish, mm-hmm. I know what the MCU looks like. Mm. This didn't feel like anything we've ever seen before. It mm. felt really different, at least for the... It felt much more like the Netflix Marvel shows um but still even disconnected from those and I'm really excited to see where it goes
0: yeah oh yeah so so um I'm in agreement with almost all of that I I still prefer the first episode of Loki but like barely like I I really liked in fact I've been surprised with some of the reviews that are not as favorable favorable for Moon Knight. I, I think I I also agree with you that it has a shot right now at easily surpassing WandaVision and um uh Falcon and Winter Soldier, which are both extraordinarily good shows, right? Like so yeah. the fact that it could surpass those with the, with what it's been giving us thus far is pretty remarkable. Now I know that a lot of the critics have seen more episodes of the show than we have, so maybe there's some weirdness that turns up in there somehow. But I could not agree with you more. I think the other, the other two things I'd add to the add to the conversation are that they sure they sure as hell picked some amazing actors to be in this thing. Oh
1: yeah, yeah.
0: I mean Oscar Isaac is phenomenal. Complete redemption from which is not his fault at all, but complete redemption from his apocalypse <laughs> um appearance. Thanks, yeah, it wasn't his fault. We all know it wasn't his fault. That was just a weird movie. Um, but uh he does amazing the fact that he and I cannot wait to see him switch between the characters. I mean, this is just an actor's dream, probably, and Oscar is just so good there. Um, the other the other thing I thought was just phenomenal was that. I mean, Ethan Hawke seems to me like this guy who's had this amazing career in Hollywood and yet has like only flirted with being like a list, if you want to define it as that. Like, and and to see him underrated, yeah. And to see him in this role, having completely given up on his like younger self's like leading man, like the handsome guy, like now he's literally like the charismatic, but chilling villain is like wow dude that's awesome like look at his the evolution of his career um and he's just killing it he's just killing it in episode one so um the acting was was even even the (laughs) i love the performance i think it's underrated actually because i haven't heard many people talk about it but i love the performance of oscar isaac steven steven's supervisor at the museum (laughs) she's perfect (laughs) Yeah, yeah she's so good um she's so good in that little role And, uh, so I, I can't look for, I can't say enough good things about this, but I want to dig a little deeper because that's what we usually do on the Story Geeks show, right? Um, now I don't want to put a label on you, but just to kind of, just to kind of give us a feel for how this conversation, how the two perspectives are approaching this conversation.
1: Yeah, no, label me. Go ahead.
0: Well, well, I'm going to ask you if this is fair, but would you call yourself like a secular humanist or what? Yeah. Yeah. So, so you're, so you're not overly religious, um, you, you, you are, but you are very concerned. In fact, I was going to call you this on the show that I forgot to when I introduced you, but I think you're one of the people, like in the whole Disney, um, arena. You're one, you're one of the, I think one of the only people, if I'm being honest, that is trying to understand the world through the lens of Disney in a in a far deeper way than just saying like how did they make me feel today? <laughs> right. Um, yeah, it's yeah, kind of your vibe. And so, so, so you're approaching something like moon night from that perspective, I'm technically approaching it as a Christ follower. And so, so the MCU has introduced to us another set of mythology, another set, but even leaning more. So I would argue into spirituality mm, because
1: Really interesting that you say that because I have a totally different take.
0: Oh, really? Yeah. So this is this is good. I like different takes because what I'm what I'm what I'm thinking about here is that like I even did a little bit of research on this just because I wanted to understand the Egyptian gods a little bit better. But the Egyptian gods are like actually showing up as real. Well, we assume real. Maybe he's just maybe he's just seeing them and they're not. They don't. Know, they don't actually exist. But to me, it looks like what he's doing is he's. He's actually seeing the Egyptian gods, which were spiritually worshipped. Right, it was one of the biggest empires in in history. Right, um,
1: and you have the Ethan Hawke character who is playing the role of Jesus here. Well, he's um,
0: playing a cult leader for sure. Well,
1: yeah, cult, a cult leader. A lot of people are seeing him as a Jesus-like figure. Um, Interesting. And he and he is the one doling out, you know, the punishments. Uh, yeah. of God, really. Yeah or of the of the gods right. from that perspective. So I mean there is definitely a religious atmosphere to the show because yes. you're dealing with mythology. Correct. And even though people think of oh it's fun to be like yeah mythology and Osiris and you know Greek mythology with Zeus and stuff. Yeah. But going back, people truly did be- like
0: they worshiped believe in these, these gods. gods. Yes. Yeah, like, yes, 100%. It's
1: not stories for them. Correct. It was real
0: correct so yeah so tell me about like what is your what is your perception of using these because we had the Norse gods but at this point in history we tend to think of the Norse gods as like full mythology even though they were worshipped as well right um so we've seen the Norse gods and Thor is a Norse God so that that's a kind of a different take this is human beings interacting with Egyptian gods and then we've got this cult figure. Who i'm curious to hear more about about what you think about him being jesus like um because in my mind he's almost more like the antichrist like um what do you think about that like how does that hit you how does that hit you as a person who's a secular humanist and they're introducing these things that have that have been really truly meaningful spiritual interactions for people of past generations
1: so one of the things when i when i first saw previews for the show yeah. Right, and I thought about it, and doing a little bit of research, realizing that um, the Moon Knight character came from, uh, a, a first appeared in a comic called Werewolf by Night, oh, and, right. they're gonna, and they're actually going, and they're going to make Werewolf by Night as like a Halloween special. Oh, cool. <laughs> um, and then we're also going to get Blade later on, right? So now we're uh, we're entering the world. have I've joked about this, but I think it's kind of true. Yeah. Remember like a few years ago Universal was like, "Oh, we're going to have our own MCU and we're going to have like Yeah. all the universal monsters combined together in this dark universe." Yep. Now the MCU is like, "We're just going to make the dark universe." Um <laughs> That's true. like this this is the mummy. Yeah. We're going to have the werewolf story. Right. We're going to have the vampire story with Blade. And then it's all going to cross mingle. Yeah. Um and you've got kind of witches and and wizards and stuff like that obviously, yeah. that have kind of been around. I think that what's interesting about um, horror and, and gothic literature yes, and and where that all spawns from, right, is that it's trying to make... It goes back to what we desire as humans. Mm. Um, you know, like Dracula is such an iconic character because he was... Basically, if you want to look at it in biblical terms, right? right. He is... The sin that everybody kind of desired, but was not trying to have. You know, you want to. Have yeah, you're the- trying to practice
0: self control, but you can't because you're a vampire, right? Right, and yeah. then
1: you get with the gluttony, and you know the all this other stuff. Right. Um, I, we're in that category for sure now. Yeah. And I think that that's something that I, that is interesting to see play out. Yeah. Um, in this realm. I think that there is, like you're saying, there's an, a religious aspect to this, but I also think that there is layers to this in terms of the horror side of it, the mm. suspense side of it, and then the, um, like the the kind of disassociative disorder, yes, side of it. All of those kind of commingle together mm. and and tell a really compelling story. Yeah. and i don't know how they're all going to match up eventually and, and in the future how they're going to attach themselves to werewolves and gods and vampires and things like that <laughs> right um but all of those kind of creatures in the same you know like when you look at um even modern creature films like del toro films the creature typically is the thing that we're most afraid of but it's like it's representative of like, something that we're genuinely afraid of. So, like, when right. you do talk about vampires, you're talking about the sins of humanity. Right. Um. You know, in this aspect, you might, we might not know exactly what that is yet. Right. Um. But I'm really excited to see where it goes and, and what the show tries to tell us about yeah. ourselves.
0: Yeah, so there's this interesting thing, because I, I think you're 100% right in terms of, like, vampires are basically a symbolism for lust right um the werewolf is symbolism for anger like in your temper that you can't control and it's going to happen and oh you blew up and you hurt people and what about that right so i think those things are really cool and i think that's why i think the mcu is getting a little weird so so one of the things that i'm going to talk about with daryl on thursday's show um, same time on Thursday, Daryl and I are going to talk about how the MCU is adding a lot of the things that we saw in the comics are now showing up in the MCU. So we have Celestials now. We've seen the Watcher uh, show up in in What If? Uh, we have Eternals. Technically, Ego was sort of uh celestia calls himself a celestial but Ego is obviously a major powerful character. Dormammu is an interdimensional being that we that we now have. And so now you're seeing like like Egyptian gods which by the way are even referenced in spiritual books of other religions. Like the Egyptian gods are referenced in um maybe not by name per se but they're referenced in the Bible even as being like the the Israelite perspective um coming up against the perspectives of the pharaohs. Those pharaohs not only thought of themselves as gods, but were worshiping the gods of Egypt at that time. And it's not like we haven't seen that in the past. Like I mentioned the Norse gods. I mentioned the fact that we had um, even some of the Egyptian gods in Black Panther were referenced, right? So right. so it's not like this is new, but I think, it's, I think it's a really healthy thing to do, especially when we talked about like, these are things that people have wrestled with for millennia, since the since the since the time that there was the first human being, right? However, you believe the first human being came about, since the time of that first human being, human beings have been trying to figure out what's the world all about. Are there are there beings that are superior to us? Are there not? Are they aliens? Are they gods? Are they ghosts? Are they ancestors? I mean, these are like the like stories that I think Marvel should wrestle with because they are literally stories that everybody can wrestle with in their own personal lives. And so I think that the introduction of that's great. I think that showcasing what religion looks like from different perspectives is also great because you talked about um, the character of uh, Arthur Harrow, which is Ethan Hawke's character. And you talked about him being like, he's, he's presenting himself as a person who has the solutions. And yet he's also saying he's serving the will of, a character who, who we have not met yet in episode one. And he has a really magical little tattoo that uh tells <laughs> whether or not people are good or not. And I think all of those things are really interesting because we will encounter those things in our lives, right? Like we will encounter my wife and I were literally just talking because we're looking for churches to go to in Northern Colorado. And we were just talking about the fact that like, we don't want a church where one of the main focuses is the, the lead pastor, right? Like, don't give me that like that's not what religion is supposed to be about in our in our minds about like I'm gonna follow some dude that's supposed is he supposed to be holier than me because I get I can guarantee you I've known a lot of lead pastors they're not any holier than anybody else like they struggle with the same stuff that everybody else I bet I made that PG by the way because I was gonna I was gonna curse <laughs> but I um they deal with the same stuff that, that we all deal with and so I like the fact that Marvel is bringing some of these things into like we should think about this we should think about Arthur. And even if he is doing some things that seem like he's predicting the future or making the world a better place, he says his perspective is to bring heaven on earth, right? So there's these three questions that I'm going to list here that I think that the show is dealing with that I really like. And then, and then we can move on from, from this particular um, set of questions. But the one question that I think is really, really, really fascinating is who should judge us, judge us. And when should they judge us? Because, Amit is going full minority report, right? And judging people before their sins are even created. And Arthur Harrow is listening to Amit in order to pull that off. That's a really, really good question. In a time when we were dealing with COVID and isolated, and now we're integrating back in as a society, who should judge us and who should, and when should they judge us as well, right? Like that's a really compelling question.
1: I would also add there really quickly, is redemption worthy?
0: Yeah, exactly. Because the lady he kills in episode one, he's basically saying, you're not going to redeem yourself. You're going to do something bad. And you say you've been good all your life. You must be doing something bad because Emmett says you're dead. (laughs) So take it easy. (laughs) Enjoy the afterlife. (laughs) That's really good. Yeah. Um, I think the other thing that I think we're probably going to talk about more as the series progresses, because this is a really fascinating thing to talk about in the modern day. And that is, what does it mean to be possessed? And in what ways does possession show up in our own lives? Because Steven, as one of the characters in this, in this show, is literally having his body taken over and having it do things that he would not agree with and does not want to happen. And so we're we are left with this thing of saying, like, what is control and what does it mean to be possessed by either another personality or even an Egyptian god? Um, and, and then what does that mean for our freedom? What does it mean for our perspective on the world? Um, those are really fascinating questions that I think it's kind of hinting at getting into. So I hope they get into it a little bit more. And then the last question I had was, um, what are we supposed to fight for? Because there's this idea that like, are we fighting for Amit? Are we fighting for Kanshu? Are we fighting for like Steven's fighting for normalcy? Like, like that's his daily struggle is normalcy. So I think that those are some really interesting questions that I hope that they keep kind of digging into further because I think the show can definitely go there and they have all the actors have the chops to do it and all that kind of stuff. So, um, so yeah, I think that's really good, but okay. So here's my, here's my next question. Here's my next question for you. We don't know what Kansu's goal is yet, but we do know that Kansu for sure does not respect Steven. Like, he always is like, the idiot is taking over. You know, like, he's like, he, de- he definitely doesn't respect him, even to the point where he's like, if Steven were to die, this the, the part of Steven's personality were to die, he would be 100% fine with that happening, right? Like, he doesn't like Steven's personality. Um, At the same time, we just mentioned this earlier, but Ethan Hawke's character believes that the Egyptian god Amet is trying to bring heaven on earth by eliminating evil people, right? So how are we going to get heaven on earth? Well, we need to eliminate the evil people to all the good people are left. And so he's like testing different people. And so, so my question is this, and I think this is a pervasive question that the show is asking in episode one, and I want to turn it on you. And that is in this series, who is good? Right? Like there's like lots of people fighting for good, but who actually is good in episode one of this series so far?
1: I mean, in episode one, we know for a fact because he he gets judged by the scales that Steven is a good person. Is he, I mean, obviously he's one of multiple personalities. So is the entirety of right. Stephen, Mark, a good person. Um, right, because of- he said he was
0: a chaos, right? So he said, like, and that, and that right. speaks to the different characters maybe having influence.
1: Right, and I, I think, like, who is a good person is really difficult to say. um, I, And I think that that is, in general, not even just the show, <laughs> right? Like, right. It, like who, who really is a good person? What determines being a good person? Um, yeah. And I'll I'll throw this your way, right? Like because you're much more religious than I am. So, a lot of people point to how um, religion, mm-hmm. modern day religion, has been the start of plenty of wars and murder and death. <laughs> right.
0: Oh, so an and, easy question. So you give me an easy question. I see. yeah. And they, yeah, and they <laughs> and they preach
1: well, and they preach. Right. You know, love, respect, honor, all this stuff. Yeah. So it seems kind of anti, the war part of it seems anti religious, even totally. though all these people are fighting for religion. Right. However, if you go back to ancient Egypt, ancient Rome, ancient Greece, um, you look at their gods, there is always a god of war. <laughs> right. There is always someone who is saying there has to be murder to some extent right um and maybe that's wrong mm-hmm. but also more realistic right um, and so are they wrong if if we're saying konshu or whatever gods come into play in this show yeah. are they wrong for being the ones to say Somebody's got to take this role of, you know, the god of fire, the god of war, the god of death, whatever. Right. They're not the devil, and I think <laughs> right. that's what well that's what a lot of people want to associate, you know, death and evil and evil with is the devil, but that's not what mythology has shown us. Right. And so, I guess this show maybe might be saying is any of this really wrong? Mm. According to the mythology Mm. of this versus what we know now about modern day religion. Yeah. Some of these things would be more
0: wrong. Right. Yeah. This is, I mean, this is a really great question because the reason why I'm asking you who's good in the show is because you log into Twitter, go log into Twitter. After this show's over, you're listening to this show, go log into Twitter and figure out who's good (laughs) and good luck to you because Because the definition of good is, um, it is it changes based on the decade that we're living in. Who is good? You would have, if I would have asked you who is good in Hollywood two weeks ago, you'd have been like, "Will Smith seems like a pretty good guy." <laughs> right. Um. So there's this there's this concept of I think that one of the things that um and one of the reasons I I was I asked you if you feel like you're a secular humanist is because there are people in the world who are secular what you would call um survival of the fittest right and i would say that that worldview is sort of like look the only thing that you can count on is you getting what you want in life and therefore who cares about the rest of humanity just do what you want to do and
1: yeah a bit of nihilism there
0: exactly there's a lot of nihilism there which by the way there's actually more nihilism in a lot of religions than you might expect too but the um the interesting part of that is that as a secular humanist, you're literally trying to figure out what's good, consistently, and 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 good is, the definition of good is changing around us all the time, right? right. Um, and, and so it's one of the reasons I, I ask you the question, and you're asking me the question back, and I would say like, yeah, this is this is a fundamental part of the questions we have as humans that I think our stories are trying to help us unravel because there's even a, there's even a portion of the, um, another story in the bible where um i believe it's i believe it's uh i don't want to say the character who it is i think i think it's pontius pilate but he says to jesus something along the lines of good teacher and it could be be a pharisee or it could be a, um one of the other re- religious leaders or one of the other government leaders um and jesus's answer to that question is basically you say that I'm good. What is good? <laughs> like, like this is there's a quintessential human question of like, what is good? And I think that like you alluded to it when you're talking about universal monsters is that there's a sense, call it what you will, but there's a sense that nobody is truly good. Like if you, like maybe there are scales and you can kind of like say like, okay, well, yeah, I, I was better this week than I was last week. So my, I'm on the upswing. Right. But the, but the essence of it is that nobody's perfect and we're all going to hurt other people. And so can you call somebody that hurts other people, even if it's a mistake or you didn't intend it, can you call them good? And it's hard to call that person good. It's hard to say that that's a good person. And I think what the show is saying to us in this is, I think that we get the, I think we're starting to get the feeling. We tend to, as humans, we tend to, especially in the in the West, we tend to react to, to your point about the gods and like our perspective on the gods in the West, we tend to say, if you're taking away my freedom, that's bad. That's not true everywhere in the world, by the way, but it's very true in the U.S. and in, in the West. And so we kind of see Arthur Harrow's character as bad off the bat because it's like, dude, dude, is these people are free to make their own decisions. And he's saying, no, you actually don't. Your 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 journey is prescribed for you already. Emmett has seen it. You're done. Right. So we instantly react to that. And be Like, that's bad. We shouldn't do that. And then you have a character like Mark who is fulfilling the will of Khonshu. Khonshu doesn't care about Steven. And now we're left with some, <laughs> we're left with a hard, we're, we're left with a hardship of saying like, well, is Mark on board with what Kanchu is trying to do? Because Khonshu right. doesn't care about Steven. And so I would say if you're going to label anybody in the show as quote unquote good, it would have to be Steven, which is where you were going down the path with it. But even he, we don't know if they're t- entirely good. And I think, the fact that this is a question in the show, to me, is like, I'm so into this show. <laughs> like, I'm so on board with what this show is trying to accomplish. And I do think that what's really interesting is if they, if they get further into the lore around... Because, like, one of the things that, like, if you asked me what I would say about, like, the God of War, right? I would be like, the God of War is a representation of collective fear right like what sure. what why would we go to war why we're sitting in a situation right now where on the other side of the world there is a war happening and like the, it's so hard for us on with our context to go why is this war happening right and the only way that we know how to talk about it is in terms of saying like well that person must be crazy the problem is is that i'm not saying that person isn't crazy but that person is being driven by something and could we be driven by the same thing right and maybe not to the extent that that person is But to your point about the universal monsters, what we keep telling ourselves in stories is be careful because if enough people feel fear the way that you feel fear, if enough people feel like Arthur Harrow and Ammit are on the right side and they're eliminating evil, could we get wrapped up in our own war? And that's not even a question so much of the gods as it is of of us. Like when we feel fear, what are we going to do with that fear? and i think that that's uh again really compelling question to ask really interesting thing to dive into and uh but give me some more more of your thoughts what what is that prompt in, in you
1: go, going off of fear yeah it's really easy and this is another um uh kind of storytelling idea in horror and mm. classic like gothic horror yeah is that fear is really easy to manipulate Yes, like like as soon as you feel fear, yeah, you're willing to be comforted by a lot. Yes, and and at what point are you falling into in this case a false prophet who is (laughs) who is saying I'm going to better the world and I can tell you if you're a good person or not? Right, Um, there's so many people who you know, and I'm not going to say whether or not. I I don't think it's silly. I don't think that this is a bad thing. I'm I'm not trying to like poo-poo on this, right? Yeah. But like people go to tarot card readers and fortune tellers and things like that. Yep. Because they want clarity. They Mm -hmm. want to know. And it and it strives typically from their fears of um you know death or of whatever in their lives. You know, nobody is like, I'm having the greatest day in my life. I'm going to go to a tarot <laughs> card reader. Uh, you know, it's usually like people who are a little bit desperate, a little sure. bit. You know, and so I'm not trying to say that those people are false prophets. But I do think that we become desperate in our fear and we look for guidance. And there are people that are willing to come in and we don't know if they're good or bad people. And um, yeah, like it, that kind of fascinates me as well so we'll see what plays out but um there's a lot going on in this show yeah a lot of layers a lot of things and going back to the oscars talk and or emmys i could see this show you know go going for that emmy award because there's so many different layers it's such a complex story in the same Mm. way that wandavision was and that's why wandavision got emmy nominations right um they were talking about grief and loss and depression and yep. how that impacts how you project yourself. Yeah. Um, and, and this is kind of the same way.
0: Yeah. Well, and, and, and so you, you brought up like tarot card reading and like the f- fear driving people to that, but let's not pretend let's not pretend. And, I, and I'm very comfortable saying this. Let's not pretend that's what doesn't drive people into churches on a Sunday. I mean, there's like, there's, there's this sense that the, there's this sense that I think, I think everybody, I have not met a person yet who doesn't have some form of brokenness, right? I've got brokenness. I think you've got brokenness. I think everybody down this, down my block, if I walk down the block, I'm going to have people, find people who are just, there's areas of their life where they're broken and that can make us fearful. That can make us, now, now fear is not necessarily a bad emotion doing something with that fear is not necessarily a bad thing, but on the range of things that you can do with that fear, there are bad things, (laughs) right? Like there are, there are things you can do in response to your own fear that are not good. And so there's this aspect of saying to ourselves, like, what do we do with fear? What is Steven going to do with fear? What does Mark do with fear? What does Arthur Harrow do with fear? Um, because what we would like is that we would like, we would like. Oh, here we go. Here's a good quote. Fear is the mind killer, right? So, mm. uh, a hundred percent. Fear is the mind killer. And why is fear the mind killer? Because fear. So thanks. Special thanks to our. Um, if you're listening on audio, that was a that was a Facebook um, listener. Why is fear the mind killer? Because fear will literally turn off some of your logic, some of how you would normally behave. It will turn it off. It is. It will cause you to react in pure emotion as opposed to saying, this is not actually in alignment with my values and I would not like to do this. But your fear will drive you to do it anyways, right? Um, fascinating, fascinating stuff. So we're both big fans of Moon Knight. Any other things, Josh, before we close out the Moon Knight conversation?
1: Oof. Uh you know what I'm excited to see what comes from the rest of it from the next 5 episodes. Yeah. I think that the the MCU uh television shows that have been on Disney Plus to me have suffered from a lot of pacing issues. Yeah. Um if I'm going to be nitpicky about it, I've loved a lot of what they've done, but there have been times where it's like the first few episodes are kind of slow, you know, hang out and then by the time that you get to, like, the fifth and sixth episode, that, or, like, excuse me, like, the penultimate and, and final episode, you get to this point where it's, like, wow, we got to, like, really rush through some of this stuff here. Right. Uh, and they don't let you linger on it enough. And uh, I think that's one of the things that, like, the last episode of WandaVision, right, like, the the fight between, like, the two visions and, like, what you're left with to think about afterwards right, is really incredible. But then it, like, cuts scene really hard to the next fight. <laughs> right. And it would have been great to linger on those moments a bit longer. So I'm hoping that this show paces out some of those storytelling moments mm. um, and lingers on some things a little bit more. Although six episodes is still not a lot of time. And this show... So far, has been you know slow. Uh, the first right. episode is a bit slow. It doesn't reveal Mark or the Moon Knight until the end of episode one. Right. So uh, we'll see.
0: We will certainly see. I, I'm I am uh, I am looking forward to it uh, a lot, and I'm glad that we had a chance to have a conversation about it. Daryl and I will be talking about episode two on Thursday. Uh, we're also on Thursday going to be talking about. The power dynamics in the MCU because there have been like diatribes written about the power dynamics in Marvel Comics, and the more we see those things introduced into our world, like how powerful is an Egyptian god compared to a Norse god? Like, I would like to know that, like, I want to know like what that looks like. Um, so Daryl and I are going to talk a little bit more about that. He's much more familiar with the comics than I am, but thank you, Josh, for the conversation. I'm going to get into reading an excerpt. Uh, from Death of a Bounty Hunter, but before I do that, I want to hear where people can get a hold of you, learn more about what you're into, and uh, watch some of your watch or listen to some of your shows.
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, so if you're interested in uh, seeing what I do, you can search um, Modern Mouse on YouTube or on TikTok or on the podcast feed. Uh, each one will actually give you different things. A lot of people are surprised when I tell them that I don't like cross-platform anything right (laughs) Um, so like all of my tiktoks are my tiktoks all of my youtube stuff is is youtube and all the podcast stuff is a podcast like all of it's a bit different uh if you're interested in kind of these deep discussions and thoughts about like real issues uh modern mouse as a podcast is probably for you i also overanalyze uh probably too much I analyze films and television from Disney over on the YouTube channel at Modern Mouse, and I just give fun little history facts about Disney on TikTok. Um, And then I'm also part of of Theme Park Pulse, and like you were saying, um, you can hear that show. Uh, Just search for that wherever you listen to podcasts. And Sunday mornings on Twitch.com, or sorry, Twitch.tv/slash No Midnight Media, uh, 8 a.m. every Sunday. We talk about theme park news and coffee.
0: Yeah, that's right. It's it's too early for me. So I, sometimes I try to catch up on it like after you already filmed, but it's way too early for me it's to wake up. It's too early for me sometimes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I'm an hour ahead of you and it's still too early for me, but that just shows you how late I stay up working on stuff. Uh, well, Josh, thank you so much for for joining me on this conversation. I'm sure I'll have you back soon to talk about some more Moon night. Maybe after the series is over, we can go back and see what we talked about in this episode and see how that carried over into the future episodes. Um, so yeah, thank you, sir. Have a great rest of your week and I'm glad you're getting over your, your cold. Thank you. Talk to you later, sir.
1: Take care. <laughs> Bye.
0: Well, special. Thanks to uh, to Josh for joining me there. Um, I am going to read a little bit from uh, death of a bounty hunter. Um, and then what's the way I'm going to do this on these shows is that on the Tuesday shows, I'm going to read a passage from the book. I'm hoping to have some of the voice performers on with me so that we can actually perform the uh, the full cast audio because one of the things we haven't been able to fully release yet, it's literally in final edits right now. I'm listening to it after I finish this show, is our full cast audio book. We have 11 different voice performers acting out these different roles. But on Tuesdays, I'm going to do a little bit of the reading from that. And on Thursdays, I'm going to talk a little bit more about how this came about because this story has been in development for 10 years. And so I'll go back to the first draft and even showcase that to, to you guys. The first draft was actually a short film. So I'll showcase like what what does the short film look like versus then what is the final draft of this thing, this thing look like. So let me go ahead and uh, share my screen so you can read along with me. Um, I'm going to have fun with it. So I will do some of the voices and things. Um, that uh so it might be horrible. And you might say, you know what? <laughs> I think this is a really, really terrible uh rendition of this. But the the book I'm gonna show actually right now has the old cover. So if you you may have seen this before, this right here is the old cover of Death of a Bounty Hunter with this gorgeous artwork by Malachi Ward. Um, the new artwork looks like this. I'll hold it up for those to see who are watching. Um, if you're just listening to the audio of this, you can check all this stuff out online too. Um but this is, this is Death of a Bounty Hunter, so let's go ahead and dive into this, and I'm going to go ahead and read it on my screen, um, and you guys can, can let me know what you think of it. This is part one, and unto you I say, a man must acquit himself of the low nature which is his want, that which striveth against its fellow man toward its own ends, for therein lies the path of the devil, and the one for whom ruination bides. Partake not in the treacheries of the present darkness. Such works are but fleeting shadows to be scattered with the dawn, and your soul shall be likewise. Repent, therefore, and do not tarry, for the hand of God smiteth the heathen, but the water shall wash him clean. From the Book of the Preacher, Homily 3.26, that's the intro to part one, and then we get into... Uh, part one, and you'll notice that there's each each section here is going to be illustrated. So if you're able to see the video version of this, you can see the illustrations. Chapter one is called "The Thief," and I'm only going to read a few pages here of the thief. And I am also going to um, I want to give a warning, content warning. Uh, this is a PG-13 plus <laughs> piece of content. Um, it also gets into some some racial bigoted language from some of the characters. Now, I want, the reason I'm giving the, the premise here, this, this preface here is because you need to know that those characters are intended to be portrayed as bad. They're not, this is not intended to be a good thing. Um, so as, as if you're looking at this and you're reading along, or if you listen to the audiobook, or if you go and read it yourself, just know that um, those are not things that, uh, that the book is going to say are good in any way, shape or form. Um, so here you go. Here's here's this is narrated by Flint, but we'll also have the voices of other characters involved as well. Um Daw, you slant-eyed rat bastard. He spits and grunts, trying to wrap his massive steel hands around my throat. I squirm to the side as one of his heavy gear and piston driven fingers scrapes my shoulder. Steam escapes from the fine-tuned mechanics. It's no louder than a whisper right next to my ear, the hiss sounds like a snake about to strike. If his fingers find my neck, I'm dead. And it'll be my own damn fault because I never saw it coming. He's sitting on my chest, pinning me to the ground while trying to tear my head off. And I'm still not convinced it's even possible. How the hell is he doing this? I shove my right hand into his face and reach for his eye. He growls and tilts his head back to prevent my finger from digging into the socket. Then he brings his left hand down in a sweeping arc aimed at my head. I roll quickly to the side, barely avoiding the heavy fist as it slams into the dirt. Almost lost an ear. Gotta get him off me. Desperate, I throw a left jab that catches him on the chin. When his head snaps back, I grab a handful of the dust with my other hand and throw it in his face. He growls through clenched teeth and squints in pain. I clutch his shirt as close as I can to his neck and push him back. Blinded by the dust, he throws a wild haymaker at my head. It hits nothing but air. His other hand goes for my neck again. One of his fingers thumps the side of my skull. It feels like the head of a hammer. And I realize how glad I am he hasn't managed to punch me. Then with a quick twist of his hand, he manages to slide his fingers around my neck. So this is how I die, head ripped off in the middle of the desert. Great. His bloodshot, dirt-infused eyes go wide, and an evil grin creeps across his lips. The alloy fingers squeeze. I try to gulp down one last breath, but it's too late. My air is cut off, and in seconds, those inhuman hands will collapse my trachea before separating my head from my torso. I close my one functional eye and wonder whether or not it's worth throwing up a desperate last-minute prayer. Who the hell would I pray to? This isn't the way I intended to die. Damn you, Harold Plunkett, and damn me for letting you rip my head off. I'll see you in hell and return the favor. I've resigned myself to the blackness of death when I feel the alloy fingers begin to twitch. An irregular spastic jolting. With each odd convulsion of his fingers, the pressure on my neck eases. My eye jumps back open in time to see Plunkett's grin fade. No, no. No, 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 He blabbers. One last convulsion, his grip fully releases. I open my mouth and try to gulp down air, but I get nothing. Plunkett scrambles off my chest and dives for my satchel. He needs what's in that satchel. Needs it bad. I roll over, try for air again, and get a second helping of nothing. He grabs the satchel and tries to rip the flap open. My right hand finds the 45 caliber ERP on my hip. I suck down a full breath of fresh air as I draw the pistol. The onset of oxygen feels like new life. I roll back and aim the ERP 45 at him. Hey, shithead, I manage to choke out of my burning throat. He turns his hate filled, red rimmed eyes on me. A loud hiss comes from his steel hands. His fingers lose their grip on the satchel and it falls to the ground at his knees. He looks at it lustfully like a prisoner staring at a set of keys through the bars of a cell. He's so close and yet it might as well be halfway across the desert for all the good it does him. You done? I ask. He falls back into a seated position in the dirt and glowers at his lifeless hands. The fingers are frozen as if he can no longer control them. Strands of sweat soaked gray hair, which are usually combed over his bald scalp stick to his forehead and his white mutton chops are muddy with dust and sweat he lets the alloy hands fall to the sand i'm gonna go ahead and end there but that's that's how the uh, beginning of our story goes and i'll explain more about that story as time goes on you'll hear about that on thursday's show hope you guys enjoyed listening to that But that is it for today's show and new episodes will be coming out every tuesday and thursday throughout april and may this coming Thursday, April 7th, Daryl Smith, my original co-host of the Story Geeks podcast, will join me to talk about episode two of Moon Knight. we have going to talk about episode one today, but we're going to talk about episode two basically right after it airs. And we'll also take a look at the MCU power rankings to try and figure out who the most powerful beings in the MCU are these days. They keep introducing more powerful beings, and so, you know, <laughs> we've got to figure out who these powerful beings are. Subscribe to The Story Geek Show on YouTube or your preferred podcast provider. Episodes are published to the podcast feed right after I finish recording them here on YouTube. Leave us a comment and let us know what you thought about Moon Knight, and I'll try and read those comments on future shows. I hope to see you next Thursday. We'll see you later.